Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome, uh, of course, those of you with me here in Knox Hall for what we call our modern worship service, as well as those of you joining us from our sanctuary uh, right now from what we call our classic service. And brand new today, want to welcome middle school and high school students uh, joining us from the new student ministry worship service. Can we say hello to our uh, high school and middle school kids who are joining us for this? Good morning to you. Yeah, our students are also studying the Sermon on the Mount this year. Most Sundays they have their own teachers, but every now and again uh, through the video feed they will tap in and kind of join us through, uh, through technology, and uh, really glad to have our students with us. Uh, why does Ward Church have different worship services with a uh, little different music in each uh, venue? Uh, we do this because we want everybody to connect with the living God. We want everybody to connect with the living God, and people connect with the living God differently. So rather than fight against that, we've chosen to honor it and uh, offer different experiences uh, uh, in our own church. So which, which one should you go to? You should go to whichever service, whatever venue, whatever room helps you open your heart to God's heart. Whichever service helps you uh, give to God praise and honor and glory, that's the one you should attend, right? The, the one that makes you angry, don't go to that one. Uh, go to the one that helps you open your heart uh, to God's heart. And wherever you are today, we're glad that you're here. Today is part two of a three-part series called The Upside-Down Kingdom. And it's really a three-part introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, which we will begin a line-by-line -line study of in just a couple weeks. And the passage you heard read today is, is that part immediately before the Sermon on the Mount. So we're still in the introduction, kind of setting this up. And today we're talking about good news. And uh, you, you've all heard a lot of those good news, bad news uh, jokes uh, like this one. Uh, the, the, the attorney says to his client, I've got good news and bad news uh, today. The, the, the bad news is that the, your blood test came back and your DNA matches the blood found on the murder weapon on the victim and in the getaway car. And the client says, that, well, that's terrible. What's, what's the good news? Uh, your, your cholesterol is down to 140. <laughs> Thank you. I'm here all week. Thank you very much. Sir. And then, I, and then I saw uh, someone sent me a website that has good news, bad news for pastors. And I don't know if this will translate. This was on a, a website for clergy people. And it had things like this. Good news, you baptized seven people today in the river. Bad news, you lost two of them in the swift current. Yeah. Good news, the women's guild voted to send you a get well card. Bad news, the vote passed by 31 to 30. Uh, good news, Mrs. Jones is wild about your sermons. Bad news, Mrs. Jones is also wild about the gong show, Beavis and Butthead, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> uh, uh, good news, your deacons want to send you to the Holy Land. Bad news, they're stalling until the next war. <laughs> I know. I'll do a couple more. Good, good news, pastors, your, your biggest critic just left your church. That's the good news. Bad news, he's been appointed the head bishop of your denomination. <laughs> and I'll do one more. Good news, good news, the church youth group has come to your house for a surprise visit. Bad news, it's the middle of the night and they're armed with toilet paper and shaving cream. <laughs> I, I think we all prefer good news over bad news. 
And we want the news to be true, right? We don't want fake news. We hear a lot about that now. We don't want fake news. We want it to be true. Uh, what is your most trusted source for news these days? Really, I want you to think about the, the, the TV stations you watch and the newspapers you read and the news feeds you follow. What is the most trusted news source uh, in your life? And in fact, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and answer that question aloud. What, where do you turn to for trusted news? What's your trusted news source? Go ahead and tell somebody uh, your trusted news source. All right, the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the correct answer, the correct answer is Jesus. Uh, come on, you're in church, right? I mean, uh, remember, Jesus is the answer to 90% of the questions you will be asked in a church. Uh, Jesus is our trusted news source. You heard read earlier today this from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. It's a very important distinction in the text. We see that Jesus teaches. He gives guidelines and instructions for life. He teaches, and he proclaims. Now, we think of these as being the same thing, but they're, they're not. Proclamation wasn't even a religious word. Proclamation is a news word. Uh, Jesus came to announce that something had happened. Jesus came to give news, and not just news, but good news, good news. That word uh, here translated good news is the Greek word euangelion. Euangelion comes from eu, it's good, and gelion, message, good message, good news. And uh, euangelion is where we get the English word evangelism or evangelical. It means good news. Uh, you know, I, I know that word evangelical is being used in a lot of different ways by different people. You know, we're, we're, our church is part of a, a collection of churches called the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And I think those terms were more helpful to a previous generation than they are to this one. That word evangelical, very confusing today. I hear often used as a political term. You've heard this, and we watch TV, and they, they say what evangelicals believe and how evangelicals vote. And I think that, that's not what it's about at all. The word just means good news. And when the founders of our association chose that word, they just wanted to say that, that, that we're a good news church. We're a gospel church. It means gospel, good news. We're Jesus church. And so uh, most people, even outside the church, have heard that word gospel. And most people, even inside the church, aren't sure what the gospel, what the good news is that Jesus actually proclaimed. And it's really unthinkable that Jesus would come to announce this big news to the world and that we'd be fuzzy about it. And so today, we're going to try to get clear on what was this good news that Jesus announced uh, from Jesus and, and why it's good news and what this could mean for your life. And then I think it's really going to set us up well then to start our study of the Sermon on the Mount uh, later this fall. So let me start by reading some verses that kind of summarize uh, the good news of Jesus. And I want you to listen, if you would, for recurring words and phrases that are picked up in these verses. Okay, so we start with the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter uh, 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, 
And then this from Luke uh, chapter 4. But Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And from Luke's gospel chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And then uh, lastly, we'll look at Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So if you were to pick one phrase that somehow was involved in the good news of Jesus, that phrase would be, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. This is the news that Jesus announced. The good news of Jesus is that now, through Jesus, the kingdom of God is available to ordinary people. God's presence and God's power are now accessible. They are now available to anybody who wants it. Now, some of you with, with a lot of church experience, uh, maybe you would have said that the summary of the gospel is that God forgives sin. And that's a real important part of life in this kingdom. That's absolutely true. Uh, some of you might have summarized the gospel by saying, you get to go to heaven when you die. And uh, that's a real benefit of this new kingdom because this kingdom that we're talking about has no end. Uh, the kingdom of God includes many things and the kingdom of God demands many things. But we want to be sure that the gospel that we proclaim is actually the same gospel that Jesus proclaimed. That we don't say something less or something different than what Jesus himself said. And I think in our day, in many circles, the gospel gets reduced to being this free ticket to heaven that you gain by saying a certain phrase or some magic words. It, it can get reduced in some circles the gospel gets reduced to being the minimum entrance requirements for heaven. But Jesus did not come to say, I've come to give you the minimum entrance requirements to heaven. He came to say that the, the time has come. He said the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Rethink. Revise the strategy for your life. Follow me. Become my disciple. And I will teach you how to live in this kingdom. So discipleship really is learning how to live in this kingdom. Uh, another word uh, you could use to translate where we say disciple, you could also call it apprentice. That'd be an equally acceptable translation of the Greek, apprentice. And I kind of like that. We can apprentice with Jesus and learn about life from him. And that's why we're so excited about what we're about to do this fall with the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk about his words and talk about them in, in small groups. And Jesus is going to teach us how to live in this kingdom. He was the kingdom bringer, and he wanted people to pursue the kingdom above all else. And so he said things like this in Matthew 6, 33. Let's read this sentence of Jesus aloud together from the screens. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek the kingdom, and everything else will go along with it. We don't use that word kingdom very much in our day. In the, in the time and place where we live, we are less familiar with kings and kingdoms. And we might not use that language, but if we're honest, we all have our little kingdoms. Dallas Willard says, your kingdom is the, uh, uh, the range of your effective will. 
your, your little kingdom is where you call the shots. It's where you're in control. It's where you exercise dominion. So when, when I drive the carpool minivan, uh, I'm in control. Right? They buckle the seats when I say to buckle their seatbelts. I can decide which route I want to take. I am the captain of the ship. They don't get out until I push the little button that makes the door open. Why? It's my kingdom. When I go into the office, people are doing the jobs that I have assigned for them to do. And if I wanted to change what they're doing, I could do that. Why? It's my kingdom. I get home at the end of a long day, and my wife is waiting with a cool glass of lemonade, and my slippers are out near my favorite recliner chair, and my newspaper is on the armrest. Why? I've walked into the wrong house. Uh, it's not my kingdom. Somebody else's, somebody else's kingdom. And all of our little personal kingdoms connect and overlap until they become what the Bible calls the kingdom of this world. And the Bible often contrasts the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of God. And in Jesus, those kingdoms just got closer together. In fact, they touch. In fact, they overlap. And now the kingdom of God is accessible to people in these kingdoms. This is phenomenal news. Whose kingdom are you living in? Which kingdom are you building? You have a physical location and you have a spiritual location. Right? You have a physical home and it determines in many ways your identity. People who work with identity sometimes say your geography is your identity. They say where you are determines who you are. You have this physical place, right? I've been to Florida, but I'm not a Floridian. I am a Michigander. You may remember there was a debate some years ago about whether people from Michigan should be called Michiganders or Michiganians. And there was a third option, Michiganite. And uh, this was in the media, and there is, there is a preferred form. You know what it is? Jesus. That, oh, no, it's not. It's not. This is a. This is one of those ten percent areas. The preferred form is Michigander. Is the preferred way to refer to people in Michigan. Michigander. Uh, second, Michiganian is still proper, though less used. And Michiganite is allowable. But if you say that, everybody will know that you are not from Michigan. Uh, I'm a proud Michigander, and I've got the T-shirt. Uh, when we were vacationing this summer, we saw a, a shirt like this, uh, right, Michigander. And the shores of Lake Michigan, they have these shops that sell shirts like this. Shores of Lake Michigan, where Michigan pride just swells, and we're all glad. They don't sell these shirts in February. They sell them in July, and we're proud to be Michigander. And they, they had this shirt, too. Uh, let's look at another one. Midwest is best. So true, so true. Uh, they had this next one home. And see there, the, the, the mitten makes the O, right? Home. And then there was this one. Yeah. So we take pride, uh, we take pride in our physical location, right? You have a, you have a physical location, and it's real, and it matters, and it's formative, and you have a spiritual location, and it is real, and it matters, and it's formative. 
It is not physical, but it is real. And Jesus says you can now live in the kingdom of God, in this alternate reality, in this whole other realm. And this is the greatest opportunity ever extended to the human race. This is the good news that Jesus came to announce. Uh, Jesus didn't come just to teach. He came to announce something. Now you can live in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, nobody can threaten your ultimate well-being. In the kingdom of God, all of heaven, the resources of heaven are there to support you. In the kingdom of God, you are never at ultimate risk. And so we can live and think differently as citizens of this other kingdom. This is why the apostle Paul could write these words to the church at Rome. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I, listen to the confidence. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Jesus talks about is the kingdom of God. Paul often talked about with the phrase, in Christ. He loved this phrase. He used it 164 times in Christ. And to be in Christ is to be in his kingdom, in his presence, in his favor. This is the good news. So, so, so the reason you can turn the other cheek is because you have access to a kingdom in which justice will ultimately prevail. Now, the, the, the reason you cannot worry about tomorrow is because your tomorrow is in the hands of the king. The reason you can store up treasures in heaven through generosity is that the father owns everything and the father has promised to take care of you. So which kingdom are you living in? And will you allow the gospel of Jesus to be your gospel? If you want to respond to Jesus' gospel, you respond by making Jesus your king making him your Lord. You do not respond by saying, Jesus, I'm going to take that free ticket to heaven, but I want to control my own life here. That's not the invitation of Jesus. Dallas Willer said, said a disciple of Jesus is one who practices Jesus' presence and arranges his or her life in such a way as to live as Christ would live if he were them. In, a, in the words of our church mission statement, we say we want to lead generations to live and love like Jesus. To live and love like Jesus. And part of what it means to live like Jesus is to live in this kingdom with God as your king, your will surrendered to his will, trusting in him, in relationship with him. Part of what it means to love like Jesus is to love the people that God loves, to become people of compassion and messengers of hope. We do not keep this news to ourselves. So I want to ask you to acknowledge this new reality called the kingdom of God, to step into it, to say yes to it, to become an apprentice of Jesus relying on the instruction of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to invite you to be a follower of Jesus in the fullest sense of the form. Again, begin now to read the Sermon on the Mount and talk about it because we're going to immerse ourselves in Jesus' words. 
We will sit at his feet. We will learn what Jesus taught. We will seek Jesus' presence. We will do what Jesus said. And you begin with a very deliberate decision. I will follow Jesus. Right before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to a group of people, come follow me, and and they did. I want to ask you to do what those first disciples did and say yes to that invitation. Would you you bow now in prayer in, in all the venues? Just kind of pray in silent prayer. I believe there are a lot of people here today who are ready, ready to follow Jesus. For some of you, this is brand new. For some of you, this is not new at all, but it feels new for you today. I believe God's calling a lot of us to follow Jesus in new ways, to enter a fresh season of apprenticeship, to recommit, maybe even to start over in our relationship with him. Some of you are here today and and you're not sure what you believe yet about Jesus. And may I remind you, the first followers of Jesus followed Jesus before they fully believed. It was in the following that they understood who Jesus was. So you don't need to wait. You can decide to follow Jesus today. The death and resurrection of Jesus has brought heaven near and has made a whole other kingdom, a whole new relationship available. So in prayer right now, make your intentions known to God. Confess your fears and hesitations to God. Commit to following Jesus as best you are able, wherever he may lead. God, our Father, we acknowledge today your kingdom and your kingship. We bow our knee. We surrender our will. We confess our inadequacy. We welcome the adventure of life in your kingdom. A lot of us right now are ready to declare ourselves. I have decided to follow Jesus wherever he goes to do what he says to follow his instructions, to live in this whole new reality, in this whole new confidence. God, would you open it to our understanding and our use in the weeks ahead? We pray this in the name of the one we seek to follow. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.